live an uncommon life, one needs to learn uncommon disciplines. Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Super excited to have you here. Welcome back. If you're a, a recurrent listener, again, I appreciate your time and attention. Don't take it for granted. And if you love the show, please refer it to a friend and it helps to rate it. So if you go to iTunes or even Amazon now where it's found, you can rate it. And again, that's helpful uh, to help other people find it. Today, I'm super stoked to have uh, a, f- a good friend and one of my favorite authors, uh, Ryan Holiday. Mike's become a legend for bringing Stoic philosophy to our modern chaotic world. Um, if you haven't read some of his perennials, Obstacles the Way, Ego is the Enemy, and Stillness is the Key, please put them on your list. Uh, he's also got a great uh, work called The Daily Stoic. So for every day, you can wake up and get a little Stoicism hit. And uh, you know, I, I know I love your online uh, platform too. I know that's in collaboration, but. Um, it's yeah. great to get those emails every day too. So Ryan, yeah, so great to see you again. I'm super stoked. I've got a, we're going to talk about your book that's coming out, which is really cool. Like, you know, those of us who have studied stoicism and, and know about your work know that there's four kind of cardinal virtues or higher virtues that the stoics, you know, have really kind of harped on courage, wisdom, justice, and temperance. And so it was really neat to see you kind of finally come around to like, hey, why don't we do a series that includes all these. And so courage is the first one in your book, Courage is Calling, which I got was fortunate enough. Thank you very much to get an advanced copy of. It's great. Really, really thank good. You. you know, of course, I would expect nothing less from you, but y- you know, courage is something near and dear to my heart, as you're aware. Sure. You know, being a Navy SEAL and having written about it. Um, and so it's just so cool to see, you know, all the different ways that you can kind of slice up courage and look at it, you know, through different lenses. I'm excited. You you break it down into three major categories, you know, fear, because, you know, you could almost claim that fear is the absence of courage or vice versa. And then you get into actually what is courage and the acts of courage. And then an interesting section called the heroic. <laughs> I guess that's going beyond courage. Yes. So cool. But, you know, let's just catch up for a bit, you know, okay. We're probably curious, like what, what's been going on with you for the last year? You've been hunkered down writing, obviously, you know, we mentioned, we talked to just a tad bit, but what's it's going on a, with your life? It's been a crazy, awful slash wonderful year. You know, oh. uh, I've got, so I've got two young kids, uh, two, we started the pandemic with two kids under the age of four. Uh, my youngest uh, has now spent more than half of his life in some form of this pandemic quarantine wow. lockdown life. So on, on the one hand, it was, you know, like like you, I make my living traveling around, going to things. I sell books in bookstores. So there was a, obviously a moment in early, uh, you know, 2020 where I was like, where is this going? It's going to be awful. And then on the other hand, you know, I've never been so productive, never had so much time with my family, it's sort of really made me reevaluate what my life ought to look like day to day to get like the best out of myself. So, yeah. you know, everyone kind of talks about things going back to normal. I kind of want some version of this to be normal. If I, without, without the uh, massive uh, ICU and hospital surge, I would like right. this to be normal. Yeah, I agree. Let's take, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> yes. The new, the new normal should be, uh, 
one where people are more courageous because they've had to be resilient. They've had to sometimes for the first time in their life, they've had to step up and be like, oh, you know, I got to take charge. I got to figure stuff out. I got to pivot. I got to, you know, buck up. And also I got to ask better questions. Like you said, what is it that is most important in my life? Obviously your kids come first. Well, I think also people have, have really had to, you know, when we talk about the four virtues, as we were saying before we started, they're all very related to each other, right? Mm-hmm. So how does does courage intersect with the other virtues, right? So um, I think one of the things the pandemic really made clear or should have made clear, if it didn't, you, you missed the memo, but how <laughs> interrelated all of our lives are and how our actions affect each other, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's very easy to go through the world thinking about your stuff, what's important to you, what you want, and not think about all the people who are affected by that. And conversely, I think we've also gotten a sense of how courageous and important certain people are uh, that we take for granted. Like, you know, neither of us work at a grocery store and have had to deal with you know, the awful or or flight attendants and have Mm. had to deal with, you know, the crap that people put them through (laughs) every, every, every day for the last 18 months in these really stressful times. So it, 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 I think it encourages the currency that makes the world work. And I think we're really experiencing both the, the, the the necessity of courage. And also we're seeing the consequences of what happens when, when we have failures of courage. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that really um, I always come back to when I think about courage is, you know, the root of the word core, which means heart. Right. And so you could almost, and I've related this before, either in my gums flapping or in one of my books that fear actually is, comes from the head or the mind, right? So if fear is coming from bias or a false expectation appearing real, you know, and so that's head thinking mm-hmm. and Westerners are pretty much mostly taught to head think. And so courage, one way kind of at a meta level to look at courage is, is getting out of your head and getting into your heart and saying, what would the heart do? What would the heart say? You know, what would love do in this situation as opposed to my little ego brain or the fear-based brain or the amygdala triggered brain, right? What would love do? Well, I had, um, I had Alexander Vindman, uh, on the podcast, uh, recently. Um, if he's the, the whistleblower who overheard, uh, the call with the president and the, the president of Ukraine, the, the call that got Trump impeached. He's oh, the one who, who heard something untoward, uh, that was inappropriate and he, he blew the whistle. And, you know, so he's not only a combat veteran, but also a whistleblower who ends up losing basically his military career over this, goes from anonymous, you know, sort of, uh, you know, national security figure to, you know, controversial public yeah. figure that he didn't want to be. And he was saying that one of the things he learned is he's a Russia expert. He was saying that one of the things that Americans struggle with in relation to the Soviets, he said, is that we self-deter. So we're we almost always stronger almost always in the moral right uh, in our relations with, say, Russia, but uh, we let them get in our heads about Mm -hmm. what we should do, right? So we let them effectively psych us out. And uh, he's like, this is obviously a mistake. And he was saying, as he was deciding, you know, he knew 
that by going public with what he knew, he would almost certainly get the president impeached and that he would probably lose his job over it, Mm -hmm. Um, that he, Vindman, would lose his job over it. But he said he had to remember that. He was like, I think this is the right thing. He's like, this is what my training tells me. This is what my loyalty oath obligates me to do. He said, but the key was to not self-deter, not to come up with reasons why it was a bad idea or why I shouldn't do it or why other people didn't want me to do it. He just had to do the hard, scary thing and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, that's an interesting story. I love that. And, you know, that's a big part of leadership is doing the hard right thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, we've heard that talk about, you know, what the difference between leadership and management. But, you know, when it comes to leadership, courage, it takes courage to do the hard thing because there's a lot of risk. You know, with Lindman, there was risk to his career, risk to his reputation, you know, maybe risk to his life. Who knows? Right. And those levels of of, uh, power. And so it's really interesting to think of courage in all these different ways. And, and um, I look at it like a holographic kind of projection. Like you, you turn the hologram this way and you see courage as, you know, stepping up and doing the right thing in the face of risk. You turn, the, turn it the other way and you see courage as, you know, just being in the moment and being willing to take a step forward into the unknown, you know? And so I love the book because um, you've got some great stories that, that really kind of like, like I'm just describing, you just flip the lens just a little bit. And now, you, now we can look at courage from a different perspective. And I like that about your writing style because you give a lot of like easy to read kind of vignettes. Your chapters are like three, three or so pages and you can, you can get the whole of it, you know, in one little sitting. And then you're like, ah, oh, that's interesting. And you can reflect on that and almost like a journalistic style. It's very interesting. Well, I think that's what's hard about courage. And ultimately why I structured the book that way is like courage is not one thing. It's not. Um, yeah. Not only is there physical courage and moral courage, of course, um, but different situations demand different kinds of courage, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. courage is charging ahead. Sometimes courage is holding back, even though that's scary, right? Sometimes courage is speaking up. Sometimes courage is, you know, uh, uh, keeping a secret, right? Like courage can be all these different things. And so I felt like if you try to define courage as one clear thing, you're probably going to fail. Although mm-hmm. when I boil it down to me, the definition of courage is when you put your ass on the line, right? <laughs> Physically right. Or, or morally, like professionally, personally, you know, it takes courage to start a business. It takes courage to tell somebody that you love them because you could be rejected. It also takes courage to run out onto the battlefield, right? Or run into a burning building. Um, but I, instead of trying to like define it as this one thing for all situations, I tried to just look at lots of different examples of courage, big and small, major moments, you know, minor moments, well-known moments and sort of secret moments and, and, and sort of hopefully give you give the reader just some sense of like, oh, I could do that, right? I could do that in my own life. Because ultimately that's what it's about. Like, of course we need Navy SEALs and we need, uh, you know, security experts and we need civil rights leaders. We also just need people who are brave enough to, you know, be themselves, brave enough to uh, raise kids in this crazy world, brave enough to, uh, you know, focus on self-improvement, but brave enough to start their own business. Like we need all forms of courage. And I think very rarely would you say in any situation that we have too much courage. No, I agree with that hundred percent. And I, I love that vision. I'm hundred percent in alignment with it. You know, 
Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world, but it's kind of, you know, difficult to have the level of um, impact that a Gandhi has. But what if we had a million or a hundred million people being the change by yes. taking courageous action, you know? So that's, we're looking at courage at scale here, right? That's mm -hmm. what we're talking about with this book is yeah, you, your work. You take something like the civil rights movement, of course, Martin Luther King, uh, incredibly courageous, you know, uh, multiple assassination attempts, etc. But what we forget is like all the people who registered to vote and lost their jobs over it. We we forget all the people who were just in those marches who were right. beaten by the police. We we forget all the people who who put themselves out there and made themselves targets. We forget a lot of the people who died for for that exact thing. And so. Yeah, when we think about courage, we often think of leaders. We think of Churchill, we will fight on the beaches, we will fight on the landing grounds. And of course, you need those courageous leaders, but you also just need, you know, the ordinary courage of individuals uh, who just do, you know, uh, what they need to do in their actual lives uh, day to day. Right. But it's true also that courage is contagious, just like mm -hmm. fear is contagious. And so you could have an individual that perhaps is more prepared because, you know, preparation favors, you know, the bold. Yes. So someone might be more prepared and then their courage then can inspire. So it's like the idea of leading from the front. Their courage can spark courage in others, which then sparks them to take whatever action is appropriate or, or reasonable for their level of preparation and their, you know, physical structure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a great quote. Uh, it's attributed to Andrew Jackson. We don't quite know if he said it or not, but he said, one man with courage makes a majority. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the idea that like it starts with you. Like right now, maybe nobody thinks X, Y, or Z, right? Like if we think about the civil rights movement, again, this is like one lady decides that she's not going to walk to the back of a bus. Right. And this kicks in motion the Montgomery bus boycott, which uh, unearths Martin Luther King as a, a, a social justice leader, which leads in, you know, to all these changes that now everyone agrees were obviously necessary. But that was not the case at the time. I mean, I tell the story in the book, there's this there's this moment where Martin Luther King is arrested for trying to integrate uh, a department store. And this is right mm -hmm. in the 1960 presidential campaign. And so he gets arrested by these authorities in, in Georgia. Um, and they're they're like we got this dude right mm -hmm. like they they sentenced him to four months on a chain gang, but but everyone was pretty sure they were going to lynch and murder him. Like they were like mm -hmm. he's disappearing into the bowels of the segregationist uh, justice system. He's probably not coming back out. And so Coretta Scott King, Martin Luther King's wife, calls both Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy and says. Because we're both running in a very tight election, ultimately an election decided by like 30,000 votes. Wow. And, and they said, she said, what can you do? Like, my husband is going to be murdered. Um, what can you do? And, and, and Richard Nixon, who was personal friends with Martin Luther King, they'd worked together in the Eisenhower administration, says, look, this is a really tight election. I can't get involved. Right. Uh, and he's mm -hmm. like, I don't want a grandstand. I can't get involved. I need to win the South. Like, I'll help later. And John F. Kennedy said, I'll do what I can. And he called Coretta Scott King and comforted her. And then he called the judge and the governor of Georgia. Um, and he ends up helping to secure uh, Martin Luther King's uh, release. But this ultimately wins him the presidential election. Just two phone calls. 
mm. that his opponent was too afraid to make. But that again, in retrospect, of course, it's the obvious thing. You should make this phone call. Yeah. But mm. but but Richard Nixon psyched himself out. He he came up. His heart told him what, as you said, his heart knew what he needed to do. But his but how will this play in the election in his brain, you know, convinced him not to do what could have nearly sent a man to his death. Right. So that that's kind of um, it's interesting, right? Because then you can also um, I mean, you also have to have a keen intellect and, and think about your thinking. Right. And yeah. so to me, it's like, you know, the, the holy grail is to be able to think with heart and head. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but the, the term Kokoro we use for our, one of our seal fit crucibles, the 50 hour kind of hell week sim. And, and that yeah. word yeah. means to merge your heart and your mind into your actions. And, and so it's like kind of the essence of what we're talking about. Have yeah. courage, but don't leave logic behind. Yes. But I think it's cool. You have a, um, you have a story about how logic can uh, defeat fear. So yeah. that seems to be a little conundrum of what we just talked about. Yeah, it does. I mean, oftentimes what we're afraid of is this sort of vague, poorly defined uh, uh, mishmash of emotions and fears. Right. And so part of what we have to do with the mind is break that down and go, what am I really dealing with? Right. I, I, I'll give you an example. I tell a story at the end of the book about a moment when I, I wasn't courageous enough. Uh, I was asked to do something unethical at work and I, I sort of objected, but didn't sufficiently object. This is the American apparel. Uh, yeah. Great story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, by the way. I appreciate that. It was not a, it was a, not a fun story to write, but I when I, w this is my point. So I, I didn't want to, I, I, I wasn't willing to do it, but I didn't want to speak up too loudly about it because even though it was unethical and I knew it was wrong and I said it was wrong, um, I didn't want to lose my job over it. Right. But if I step back and I think about it, as I should have said that then, is if you can lose your job over this, is that really somewhere that you should be working? Mm -hmm. Right. Like so, so we often convince ourselves, we go, well, I don't want to do it because it's bad for me for the following reasons. But we don't really think about how it's also bad for you to not do anything. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the status quo is also untenable. So we kind of go, what we're really just saying is like, I don't want to deal with it. I want someone else to deal with it. And that's kind of, to me, the definition of cowardice is mm. when you refuse to do your duty and then somebody else has to carry your weight. Wow. You know what? I don't, I don't want to say anything too controversial now, but what that brought up for me is um, my nephew um, come, came out a few years ago and trained with me and ended up making it into the Navy SEAL. So he's now yeah. at SEAL Team 4. Great guy. SEAL Team 2, actually. Oh, I can't remember. Maybe it's 8. <laughs> Whatever. He's out there. He's doing it, right? Yeah. And I, I was thinking about him this morning, and I sent him a text. So how are things going? And he says, good. And I said, how's the attitude of the team? Thinking, wow, you know, I wonder yeah. what the guys are thinking about this chaos in Afghanistan and all this controversy. And I got a surprise email back. He said, well, you know, we're coming out of a period where attitude is not great. And we, we lost 22 guys because they refused to take the vaccine. Yeah. And I was stunned. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Tw wait. And this is just one SEAL team. Yeah. 22 Navy SEALs that spent a minimum probably of four or five years training to become a Navy SEAL that the government invested a million dollars to train to be an elite special operator. And I, I'm looking at both sides of this going, what the F, right? Like, yeah. 
what are we thinking throwing these yeah. guys out? And what are you thinking? You know, you had to take a vaccine and you get jabbed for everything, for every freaking country you go to. Right. So what's the big deal? You know yeah. I mean? No, the, the vaccine. lost their career over this. Like what? So I, that's, I'm, that's to, to your point. Like, just think it through. Pause. So, think it through. Use some logic and consider all the different ramifications. I'm so glad you brought this up because you're the exact kind of person I'd really want to talk to something about this. I'm thinking about doing a piece. There's kind of a perverse courage in what you're just talking about. Like to lose your job over a principle is a hard thing to do, right? To go sure. like, I don't want to do that. You can't make me do that. And are there going to be consequences? Then I'll take them. And I even tell a story about Helvidius Priscus, one of the Stoic senators who basically stares down the emperor of Rome uh, mm -hmm. and says, I don't care if you kill me. I'm not going to do what you say. Good. So. But there's something strange about this anti-vax mentality where it's got all the markings of courage, right? Like they're going against the crowd. They're willing to pay the consequences, right? They're risking their lives for something they believe. And yet I, I can't help think uh, of, a, of a quote from Lord Byron, the poet. He said, uh, the, he says, the cause makes all that hallows or degrades courage in its fall. And mm. I think what he meant is, like what cause you're fighting for determines how valuable or admirable the courage was. Was Robert E. Lee courageous under fire? Were, the, was, was, were there all sorts of courageous fighters in Nazi Germany or Imperial Japan? Yes, but they were mm -hmm. fighting for a horrible cause. And right. when I think about the things people are willing to risk to not wear a mask or get a vaccine, which not only helps them, but objectively helps other people, vulnerable people. And I say this just having gotten news that the, the father of a friend of mine who was vaccinated died of COVID late last night because oh he's a God. cancer patient, right? right? And, and, and it was immunocompromised. Like people are willing, like it, it's like they understand courage, but only superficially so. These right. are, you just talked about incredibly brave people who have been under unimaginable stress. The most courageous you would expect in the world. Yeah. And, and, and what, so, so, so I, I, the other example, I think about people, people know about the My Lai Max massacre in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So not only was that horrible, but what I think is particularly interesting is like almost all the members of the platoon refused to testify against the guy who ordered it, right? So again, it's courageous to 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 plead the fifth, uh, you know, and and not incriminate a friend of yours, but you're defending a mass murderer, right? You're missing the point of what courage is supposed to be for. Yeah, I think the modern version of that and you know, we can come back to the vaccine issue is yeah. um, Eddie Gallagher. Mm -hmm. Right? So yeah, you know, in one sense, you've got the physical courage to go to combat time and time again and to serve your country and to put yourself in danger. But then there's, you know, there's this moral courage, which, you know, gets a little fuzzy because there's, there's my moral code. And then there's the moral code of the, you know, the Iraqis and, and the Taliban or sure. you know, whatever ISIS and Taliban. And there's even your moral code and the moral code of the person to the right. Even though that ethos may mesh, it's not going to be entirely in alignment. And and the courage of the profession or, you know, right. the omerta or whatever, That's like right. the, the, the profession is that sure. overlaying on it. So there's a lot of different attributes that if you do not um, practice the self-awareness 
that the Stoics talk about, you know, that the constant, you know, introspection and looking at what is the, what is really the reality of what's going on here? What's really true here? And is there a principle that kind of supersedes my principle, which might be a relativistic, you know, story or belief from my culture that may not survive the test of time. So that's what we're talking about here is like true courage, you know, is a combination of integrity as well as a, a moral ability to, to, look at moral issues from a higher perspective than your limited cultural context or, or life context. And so there's no word for what we just said there really right. I'm aware of. Right. Yeah. So it's tricky. And, and so these, these people who are like, I'm not going to take the vaccine. Well, their information and their little moral code says that's the right thing to do, but they're not considering the fact that, you know, they've committed to serve their country. They've, you know, the American people are counting on them. They've spent millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars to get them trained up. They're letting their teammates down. I mean, there's so many perspectives that they just ignored and they threw that out the window. I'm sure some of them maybe thought through that and they said, well, you know, I still believe that you know, this vaccine is going to turn me into a zombie or whatever they're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But it's fascinating to me, you know, because again, oh, back so to the tricky. Navy SEALs, like we've been stuck a hundred million times with all this different crap. Like we're, we're basically Petri dishes for whatever they think that we're going to, you know, come, come to face with overseas. So what's one more thing? thing i know it, it it is tricky because like yeah uh, um it's always it's always for instance hard to judge historically the context in which someone made a decision right mm -hmm. um it, it, it's it's never clear and and so we have to accept that there's a spectrum of values and that people can do something you totally disagree with and end up still respecting the courage right i think john mccain is a great example of someone who Politically, I often disagreed with, but you can't help but respect that the dude did what he thought was right all the time, right? Yeah, Joe Manchin's a current version of that on the other side of the aisle, right? Yeah, and, and you can be frustrated. Political. You're a member of his party. You can be immensely frustrated and still respect that this dude is sticking to some sort of higher principle. I right. think what's tricky on the vaccine thing is we're not talking about a range of political, you know, is this better? Is this better? We're, we're getting as close to you can get as objective science, overwhelming information. And, and, and I think more importantly, and this is what I think I've really struggled with in the pandemic. And, and, and it's been, it's been hard for me to figure out how to process, but, you know, look, if you want to speed uh, on an empty road, because you don't care you're you're so brave that you're not afraid of a car crash by all means right if your behavior doesn't have negative consequences for someone else you know we can we can have some 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 room for disagreement about whether something's a good idea or not the right. problem is we're now getting when we talk about vaccines or public health in a situation like this we're talking about something where you know you're a navy seal you're in great health. You, you you know you've already probably been exposed to worse viruses, right? So right. so this isn't about you. This is about my grandmother, and this is about uh, the, uh, a a child cancer patient. This is about somebody uh, who has to get blood transfusions on a regular basis, right? Th these are about mm -hmm. people who are really struggling. And I think where it's so strange, whether it's with the police or or like, for instance, I, I volunteer. I spent a bunch of time working at a vaccine clinic here in, in the small town that I that I live in in Texas because our vaccine vaccinations rates are very low. And I remember, like, very recently, a police officer came in and finally got vaccinated. 
Now, this guy's been able to be vaccinated since December in Texas, right? And he just got it. And, and so on the one hand, I'm, I'm happy that he got it. But I was thinking about it. And it's like, this dude would jump in front of a bullet, run into a burning building, risk his life on a daily basis. And yet he's fine walking around as a vector for a virus that endangers precisely the people he's sworn to protect. And I think the hardest part to swallow is he he's he pull he's interacting with those members of the public on a daily basis and not doing everything that he can to keep himself and them safe. And that's where I sort of come down on the vaccine thing. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, and we can kind of pin this conversation in a bit, but like two comments about that. Like for me, you're right. I'm I've been exposed to everything and I was even exposed to COVID, I think in Germany, uh, December 31st of 2019, when I was at an event and the producer of the event had just come from China and he was sick as a dog <laughs> and half the people in the event ended up in the hospital with respiratory issues. And, you yeah. know, I was like, I, I don't feel too bad, but I don't feel hundred percent at any rate. Um, and so I, I held off for a while, not for political reasons or just because I felt like, you know, the human body is going to provide the best response. And I probably sure. affected until, right. We had to get together with some clients when, you know, the restrictions sure. lifted, I'm going to be with clients and I'm like, Oh no, this isn't going to work. Right. You know what I mean? I've got to go get vaccinated. And I was like, okay, that's no big deal. That's one point that is, it's like, you know, like you said, if you're not going to hurt anyone else because you're living in a cave, fine. Right. But if you're going to be out interacting, especially if you're in a role as a leader, then think differently. And the other thing is, if you've decided to serve your country or your community as a first responder, that's a whole different thing. Right. You know, so if you don't want to get vaccinated, then resign. Don't wait to be fired like those seals. I don't know what they're going to do with them. Like, that's crazy. Anyway, I know it's probably controversial. I'll probably have some people, you know, Oh, I know we will a, even say they're, they're not happy with my podcast and whatnot. But, but, but this goes to the other point, right? Which I think we can use as a segue, which is uh, there's lots of people that I know that have very strong opinions as uh, in line with what we're talking about, who don't want to say things because they don't want to upset their audience. Correct. Right? I was just and thinking so, that when you're saying that it takes courage to have this conversation on a podcast. Yeah, it's either reckless or it has some courage, but but I, I get that email all the time. People, I'll say things that people disagree with and they'll go, why did you mention that? You must have known that it would upset some percentage of the audience. And my answer is usually, if, if I'm being nice, I'll say it nicely. If I'm frustrated, I'll say it a little bit more bluntly. I say, look, I didn't build this platform and become a writer to not say what I think is true, That's right. to avoid negative consequences for my business. In fact, my whole obligation as a writer is to say what I think people need to hear, not what they want to hear. It's better business to tell people what they want to hear, as you know. Yeah. But um, how can you look yourself in the... Like, you might as well quit, as we we're saying. If you, if you got into the business of writing to not write what you think, it's time to hang it up and find another job. I totally agree. And there's too much of that going on in social media and people kind of tap dancing around issues. You know, this whole, uh, another thing that would, could be a kind of a fun, hot topic is, you know, the, the chaos in Afghanistan, you know, the, just like with the VAX issue, 
I, I can, you know, I've trained myself to be able to see these things from multiple perspectives. Sure. Like I, there's no way that I think we needed to be there anymore. It fighting a war, you know, per se. And then I can flip my perspective and say, having said that, we have been in Germany, we've been in South Korea, we've been, you know, we stayed sure. in Japan, you know, we're, we're all over the world with a presence. So, and we, and we don't have a solid presence in that region. So what's the difference between those things and leaving a small presence here? And so I thought, you know, like, you know, and I saw what my, my teammate Jocko Willink put a little video out and he said, this is what I would do if I was president. Right. And so I thought about like, what would I have done if I was, you know, what would have been the courageous thing for me to do if I was in a leadership, the leadership position, the big one. Yeah. And I would have declared victory because think of, you know, just like every disaster has an equal part victory. And I would have declared victory because look what we did over there for 20 years. We, we provided opportunity. We provided stability. We provided freedom for women to go to school and to have a career for 20 years. And that was just the very beginning of seeds of planning of more freedom for those, sure. for a population that never experienced it. So choose those, those good things and declare victory around those. Sure. And then just, you know, working with our allies say, listen, let's keep a security footprint here so that, so that these seeds that we planted can grow to flowers and trees and, and not get all thrown away, you know, by just whisking away in the dead of night and letting the, you know, the Taliban or, you know, perceived enemy take back over and, and crush all those freedoms. So I think that, you know, yes, it was right to pull out, but the more courageous thing would have been to do it in a, you know, to, to just be a little bit more patient, a little bit more thoughtful. And to do it in a way that was victorious for the people that were benefiting, which was a lot. Well, you know what I think is also interesting, and this goes to the virtue of wisdom, which is the fourth virtue, Yes, is I think what you just expressed is perfectly said, because what, what you could boil it down, what you just uh, said down to, it's real fucking complicated, it is right? Complicated. And it takes some courage and wisdom to accept and that there's temperance. not- <laughs> yes, yes. Right? That, that it's not clear cut and that it is complicated and that leaders have to make, you know, I think uh, uh, Truman was was told by one of his advisors that all the decisions you make are bad decisions, right? Because all the easy, clear cut decisions, they never even make it. Right. You, you just have to make the least worst decision. <laughs> all, the, all the choices are between evils at that level. And I think right. by, I, I actually really uh, appreciated Biden's uh, most recent speech where he said, look, it wasn't about pulling out or not pulling out. It was about escalating or pulling out, right? And that, that he was saying that's the reality on the ground. What struck me also, and I think this was this also goes to the idea of courage. He said, look, and again, not as a veteran, I, I, I say this all with a certain amount of humility, but he was saying that, you know, look, if Osama, if Osama bin Laden had, had attacked us from Yemen and we'd invaded Yemen instead, 20 years, you know, flash to the future, would we be talking about Afghanistan at all right now? No, because yeah. Afghanistan is not part. It's a landlocked country with you know very little uh, resources. It's not you know to our vital national security interests. He was saying, which I mm. thought was a reasonable point, and, and of course people can disagree. But I think you know you look at Vietnam, and president after president got the same binder about how hopeless that cause was. And and General uh, McMaster wrote a great book about uh, Vietnam at the early in his career. He was basically like the presidents were not brave enough. And I would argue the generals were as well, were not brave enough to lay the facts out on the table and make the uncomfortable decision to leave. And a generation of young men mostly uh, 
but also the 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 enemy combatants and innocent civilians. Lots of people died because no one could stop something that really shouldn't have continued on as long as it did. So that takes a lot of courage too to, to take the hit, to be like, I'm going to be the bad guy and I'm going to pull out. Execution is obviously a secondary discussion that matters just as much, but to make that hard decision, it's not an easy thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think, you know, you could pan out and be like, uh, all of these wars, um, the more courageous thing would have been to be temperate and restrain yourself from, you know, from the reaction of having to go in and, and, you know, create chaos and destruction for 20 years. You know, it's, it's that's a hard thing because most people think that we were morally right to go smack down Afghanistan, the Taliban and, and to go get bin Laden. But, you know, anytime you hit force with more force, you, you know, you get a negative reaction. And that's what, you know, you know, consider that when you think about the, the virtue of temperance is like, wow, we actually played right into bin Laden's hands. It's exactly he, what he, he it's it's exactly what he wanted us to do. And, and look what we got in return 20 years later, you know, not a whole lot, except for yeah. those some of the seeds of freedom that we talked about, which is a very real. Yeah, thing. no. And I mean, it's it's even more complicated than you argue, you know, the what he got out of 9-11, you know, he does 9-11 and then we inflict a, a, a self-inflicted wound a thousand, 10,000 times worse. I mean, I, I, that was also what Biden talked about in the speech. $300 million a day we were spending in Afghanistan. You know, he wow. says, what, what, did, what could we have spent that money on? And I think when you look at China and you look at, you know, the China specific, but you look at the infrastructure, let's say that China has, and you go, how do they they afford all that? Well, they didn't light two trillion dollars on fire in Afghanistan, right? <laughs> right. And and so you talk about, and I think that was Biden's point that you know, um, that our enemies could want nothing more than for us to engage in forever wars in the Middle I East. Totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And like I said, I think it was the right action to pull out and to reapportion those money. You know, but that's where wisdom comes in. It's like how how we do that, right? Mm -hmm. Is is really important, and to be thoughtful and judicious, and yeah, that's a tricky one too. Anyways, there's no right or perfect answer in these things, and it that takes courage to admit you don't have the answer. Also, yes, yes. but we're and still going to take action. And you have some great uh, conversation about like a term we use in the seals was doubt is eliminated by action. So sometimes it's just like, just do something yeah. <laughs> in this case that doing something created a, a massive blowback, but you know, there could have been other smaller steps, maybe you know, using some micro goals that could have led to a little bit of feedback, you know, that maybe we could have had a more graceful exit. Yeah. I mean, Jocko says like, how do you get over fear? He says, you go, you go, right? Yeah. Like once, once you get moving, it like, it takes care of itself, right? Like once, once Kennedy picked up that phone, and decided to do something about Martin Luther King, it wasn't scary anymore. What was scary was the, do I act? Do I not act? Right. Once you, once you quit your job, now you're busy trying to figure out how you're going to feed your family. Right. It's the, do I want to leave? Should I keep going? You know, it's the hemming and hawing. That's the hard part. Right. So my sense is, and what you just said, that courage can be a single act but it also can be a series of successive acts, you know, like you say, almost habituating courage because courage, you get feedback, you get a little bit of strength, a little bit of doubts eliminated. 
that leads to a little bit more courage to do the next right thing, the next right thing. But it Momentum. doesn't have to be. It can be a single act. That's yeah. maybe like your whole life was kind of made or built for this one moment. And that's yeah. a display of, and that's almost like the heroic courage you're talking about. Whereas, you know, the idea of just showing up every day and, and, and taking one courageous act after another is a whole different kind of display of courage. Well, I mean, think about with, with you, when you got out of the seals, like uh, you could have just gone and got a, a, a nine to five job or you could have retired, right? There's any number of things you could have done that would have been less risky, but right. you didn't like start and do all the things you were doing the next day, right? right. You took yeah. one tiny action, right? Like right. I didn't choose like to become a writer in this swashbuckling, bold move, you know, like I put up a blog on the internet and I wrote my first article and I sent it to people. Do you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and I was willing to look weird and to be bad at it and to fail at it and to any number of things. Right. And mm -hmm. so it's about, yeah, it's, you can't be brave if you don't start somewhere with something. Right. right. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Now you let's let's kind of ping on that a little bit. You started your authorship career, if you could call it that, um, talking about marketing and helping students, if I recall. Yeah. And so, how did you get, you know get interested in stoicism, which is where you really made your mark, or more well, of a mark, I would say. Yeah, like so, I I dropped out of college and became got into marketing, and then I sort of left marketing to write a book about marketing. And then I left my successful career as a writer of marketing books to write about ancient philosophy, right? But what I would say about that journey, and I think you've found this in your thing too, is like the first one was the hardest. The mm -hmm. second one was a little less hard. The third one was easier. And now like now I don't, I don't wonder, am I going to be able to do this, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I know that I can pull off hard things. So you develop confidence as you go. Um, for me, stoicism was something I actually found early, uh, right around when I was in college. But the idea that I could write books about this, that people would listen to me, that, would, that was insane, right? That, that was inconceivable to me. So it was really about those small steps that let, like I wrote you know, my first article, then I, that did well, then I wrote a book and that did well, then I wrote another book and that did well. And, and, but it, funny enough, like when I, when I went to my publisher and I said, Hey, I want to write this book about an obscure school of ancient philosophy. They were like, that sounds like a horrible idea. And they were like, here's the smallest amount of money we can offer you without hurting your feelings. Right. Like uh, it was less than half what I'd gotten paid for the book that I did before that. So really? was that for the obstacles away? The obstacles away. I took half what I got for trust Man Life. actually less than half. Um, Interesting. And, and I asked my editor after like later on, I said, you know what, what did you guys think? She said, we hoped you would turn down the offer. And she said, when you accepted it, we hoped it would just 
you just get this out of your system and you'd go back to the other stuff. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, there's always risks and if there's no risk, then it doesn't require courage and it's probably not, you know, that important. Yeah. Do you ever fear, have a fear that you're going to run out of things to say? No, I think the fear is more that uh, I won't be able to do the thing just like the material justice. So I, I feel yeah. like I always have stuff to say, but the question is like, you know, are you getting better? I, I got to imagine athletes are like, you have this sort of quiet fear that like your body's going to quit on you or something, you know, that you're, you're, you're not going to cut it anymore. I think my fear is more just like falling off. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. When you wrote this book, what did you learn about courage that you didn't know before? Or what was surprising to you that kind of came out of this process? That's a good question. I mean, I, I think, I think I wanted to, you know, it's very easy to talk about sort of military examples of courage because it's right. what courage They're all has over meant. the place. Right. Yeah. And it's also what courage has meant for the vast majority of human history, you know? Um, but I, I just, it came to me as I was writing the book, just how important sort of day-to-day -day ordinary courage is, whether it's mm -hmm. to get up in front of a crowd, whether it's to, you know, march to the beat of your own drummer, whether it's to, to carve your own path in life or, or to, you know, to speak out about some injustice or, or whatever. Um, you know, I, I read this great book a few years ago about whistleblowers and it was called A Crisis of Conscience. Mm -hmm. But as I read the book, it actually wasn't that we have a crisis of conscience. Everybody knows what's wrong, right? Like everyone knew what they were seeing was wrong. It's we, The problem is we have a crisis of courage. Do people mm -hmm. do anything about it? Right. That's mm -hmm. really the problem is people know they just don't do that next step. So I think one of the things I just came away with over and over again in the book is like uh, not only is courage necessary, but uh, but the excuse I was afraid ages very poorly. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I was I told you the story about me at American Apparel, like all like as I was trying to explain what I was thinking in the moment that allowed me to make the decision I made, that sort of half-assed decision that I made. I kept trying to explain it. And, and then I was just like, nobody gives a shit. It doesn't matter at all. Like there's no, like it's either the right thing or the wrong thing, right? Nobody in retrospect goes, ah, but at the time you were thinking about X, Y, and Z, you know, like mm -hmm. nobody is going to care in 20 years that the NBA had a really strong business relationship with China, right? <laughs> like, like that's, that's not going to be the salient fact. The question is going to be how complicit were they in doing business with a totalitarian regime? And for the right. NBA, insert any number of other examples, right? Right. Um, no one's going to care what your reasons were. They're just going to wonder why you didn't do what you should have done. Right. That's right. Cause you can rationalize anything away. Like yeah. I said earlier, the point is to be able to pan out and take perspective. And I love that. That's a great, um, maybe it fits more into wisdom category, but again, these things are all interrelated, but a great drill for leaders is to pan out and say, 
what will people say about this in 20 years? Yeah. One of the, one of my most courageous leaders that I worked with was a guy named uh, Jim O'Connell. He was an 06. He had retired or was like on the cusp of retirement when, uh, when we decided to go into Iraq in 03 and they literally pulled him out to lead the war effort. We had a saying, a, a t-shirt in um, Coronado that I really loved that I saw during SEAL training was, had a picture of a glass jar and inside was a frog, you know, which represented the Navy SEAL frogman. And underneath this says, in case of war, break glass. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so yeah. O'Connell, uh, they broke O'Connell's glass and they brought yeah, him yeah. back. But I remember, um, you know, he, he liked to meet all this, this, uh, I was a Lieutenant commander. So I wasn't quite a senior officer, senior officer starts at the commander, but he wanted to meet all the staff. And so I went in and had a conversation with him and he told me about what he called the New York times test. And he said, if you're going to make a decision on Friday, ask yourself whether you want to read about it and what you'd like to read about it in the New York times on Monday. Yeah. And I was like, that's great. So I even think you should project further ahead five years, 10 years. Yeah. Say, what is this decision going to mean for the environment? What's it going to mean for my reputation? What's going to mean for the company? What, you know, look at it from multiple angles. And yeah. Then- I think, I think also it's like your kids are going to ask you, let's say during the pandemic, they're going to be like, grandpa, what did you do? Right. And you're going to be like, oh, I refused to take a vaccine and I thought it was a hoax or whatever, right? Like, you don't want to be that guy. Like, <laughs> I was uh, just thinking that same exact thing. Like, you you, you right. want to say, you know- I threw my SEAL career away because I would get jabbed. Yeah, you, you want to say, hey, you know, I served my country honorably. Or you want to say, you know, your mom and I did X, Y, and Z. The same thing, you know, as this social justice race reckoning we're having in America, they're going to want to know, what did you do? Were, were you- What's, you know, they're going to go like, did you get caught up in this or that? Or did you, you know, did what did you do with your time? What did you do with your money? What did you do with your body, you know, in the midst of what was happening? And again, we can all have different opinions on the specific policy solutions, but, you know, what steps did you take? I think maybe a good, another good question is like, am I part of the solution here or am I contributing to the problem? And Mm -hmm. I think, uh, this it takes both courage and a strong sense of justice and wisdom to know what that is. But how are you going to account for yourself in the future? I think, as you said, is a great test. Yeah. And I think some people who really should be asking those questions are like Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> you know? Yeah, of course. The, the leaders of these, these companies that have this outsized influence on our culture. It's, it's just unbelievable. We've never seen that before. I mean, first it was just the media in general, right? But now it's like consolidated to just a few, a few organizations. And those organizations have leaders. You know, they have their own kind of sense of momentum and their own identity as a culture. But, you know, there is an individual in charge of those. And, and that's where we need to see some courage. Well, when it's yeah. like, yeah, what, what, is, what good is it to be the CEO of a trillion dollar company? And then be like, but I'm powerless to decide what direction it goes in, you know? And, and so you're, total, you're totally right. Um, Lyndon Johnson, as he pushed through social, uh, as he pushed through the Civil Rights Act, somebody said, you know, this is really going to cost you X, Y, and Z. And he said, what the hell is the presidency for? Mm. Right. And I, I love that as a test too. Like, what good is it to be an author or a Navy SEAL or, you know, a, a successful business person or a, a school principal or whatever position of leadership or power you're in? What good is um, uh, like amassing that amount of power? And I, I've seen this as I've, you know, consulted with some people in Washington. You know, they're always like, 
acting like they don't have any power. And it's like, you're a fucking congressman. You know, you're right. one of a hundred senators. You right. have more power than me. You don't get to say uh, this is somebody else's problem. So I think, you know, what what do you what did you accumulate what you have for? You know, Hillel's question is, if not you, then who? And yes. if not now, then when? Yes. Yeah, I love that. And it's everyone's moment, every moment to make the best right choice they can. Yes. Right. So that requires we, reticence. It requires wisdom. It requires courage and justice. Yeah. I, I look forward to having more of these conversations. I would love that. This was really, this was really helpful for me too, actually. It's clarifying because again, it's easy to talk about this stuff in the abstract. And then you're like, yeah, but actual people had to, to lose friends and family members in Afghanistan or whatever. Right. right? So it's all, it's all complicated and, and, uh, and, and real. Yeah. And everyone's going to have a different opinion. And I think part of uh, courage is also to be okay with disagreeing, to be okay with people having differences of opinions. You know, it'd be super boring if we all agreed on everything the same. You know what I mean? It's okay. That's diversity. And, and we, you know, I think as a country, we kind of lack a vision. We become so diverse and so polarized and so segmented with our, where we get our news and information and how we communicate that we kind of have lost a common vision for our future. And that might be one of the, the biggest and most courageous things for us to do as a country is to, to figure out how, how to have a conversation about vision. Like, where are we going and what does it mean to be an American? Yeah. Or, or the other argument is actually we're much more on the same page than people want us to think that we are. Right? Oh, that's an interesting perspective too. I love that. Yeah. I, I, think, I think most people, I think the American values are relatively constant because they're timeless you know, bedrock values. I think we all really want a lot of the same stuff. The problem yeah. is people on both sides, you know, benefit from us not thinking we're on the same page. That's true. But also our political system seems to cater to the extremes. And so most people really kind of want to be somewhere around the center, you know, swinging back and forth. And even, you know, I like to think that we're moving to like a post-liberal, post-conservative perspective. You know, it's very Wilberian, but like, you know, I, I'm liberal on a lot of issues. I'm conservative on a lot of issues. And, you know, it doesn't really matter. I could give a shit about what party, you know, I'm affiliated. It doesn't matter. Right. You know, I love the libertarian principles and I love fiscal conservatism and I love, you know, social justice. So how can well, that fit into any one party today? And so that's, I think that's, it's going to take courage for us as a country to figure out how to solve that gridlock and that extreme swings left to right, left to right. That kind of, and maybe, maybe the counter to that, that you're about to say is, well, that's great because it, it prevents us from really doing any serious damage because one side undoes, undoes the other side's progress and they just well, keep going back and forth. No, I mean, what I would just <laughs> add to that is, is I think a lot of the problems that we face as a society and as a planet, whether you're talking about global uh, climate change, or you're talking about uh, you know the Middle East, or you're talking about a pandemic, or you're talking about social justice, these are not political issues, right? right? These are human, human rights, human survival issues. The pandemic doesn't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. The no. Republican, or the, the the pandemic is a real thing that operates under a very specific logic, a ruthless, merciless logic. Doesn't care you know, uh, what you think, it just matters what you do in response to it. And so I think we, we are way, now we're getting into the weeds, but we're way too politicized <laughs> when most of this stuff has nothing to do with politics and a lot right. to, to do with 
you know, right and wrong principles, values, and, and just uh, sort of basic facts or science. I agree. Yeah. And we can kind of end there by saying stoicism helps us to become self-aware, right? Mm -hmm. Know thyself. And then, you know, by knowing myself, by, by actually taking time to, instead of just living your life based upon your, you know, the opinions of your friend, your latest social media memes, like really think deeply about what's, you know, what's reality for you and what's reality, you know, in the world. You know, and, I find great wisdom in stoicism. I find great wisdom in yoga and all the perennial traditions because you have these universal truths that kind of cross cultures and cross time. And then they really help me kind of make courageous action because I don't get so caught up in the, you know, the vagaries of the daily chaos and politics and whatnot. No, that's, uh, it takes courage just to live in this crazy world. No doubt. All right, Ryan, thanks so much. So this uh, book will come out or comes out September 28th. 28th. Well done. Um, Thank you. We will uh, promote it when it comes out. And uh, I'd love to have a conversation with you for your next book. I'd love to have a conversation with you on your podcast if you're open to that sometime. Anytime. We can continue some of these interesting discussions. (laughs) We're on it, man. Yeah, awesome. And I appreciate your time today. I'm sure all the listeners are going to really have... Uh, some some thought provoking moments from this podcast. <laughs> send, send your emails to Mark. I don't want to. <laughs> That's right. Now send them all to Ryan. It's your fault, Ryan. It's all good, brother. All right. Thanks very Dude, much, Ryan. And uh, you can find more about Ryan at um, what? Dailystoic.com and ryanholiday.net. Ryanholiday.net and dailystoic.com. Yeah, brother. We'll see you soon. Dude, you're the best. I'm going to send you an email. I would love to have you on the podcast. It's a great idea. We'll set it up. I love that. Dive. All right, folks, that was Ryan Holiday. Go check him out. You're going to love his new book, Courage is Calling. And like I said, if you haven't read his trio, Obstacle is the Way, Stillness is the Key, and Ego is the Enemy, then add those to your list and share them with your family and friends. It's really important work. And I appreciate you, Ryan. Thanks again. Talk soon. Yeah. For all your listeners, stay focused. And until next time, be unbeatable. Hoo-yah. <laughs>